There are over 600 mentions of the Spirit in the Bible, and the Spirit is, shall we say, very active. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, a great wind from God orders the world which begins as a formless void. God calms the chaos and calls all life into existence. God forms and breathes life into humankind. In the original languages of scripture, in Hebrew, the word for breath or wind of God is ruach. Listen to how that sounds, ruach. You can hear the breath involved in this word. And in the New Testament world, the Greek word is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. The prefix we still use today when we are talking about our lungs. The breath of God literally is a creative force that orders, gives, and sustains life. Spirit is the breath of God, the breath that gives us life. Hello, and welcome to Sacred Musings, a podcast where we muse, you guessed it, on the sacred. I am the Reverend Jennifer Chatfield, the rector of St. Edmund's Episcopal Church in San Marino, California, and I'm delighted that you are participating today. In this episode, we are going to talk about the spirit as we begin this five-part series on Christian spirituality. After we muse on this topic, you will be invited to spend 15 minutes welcoming in the spirit with meditation or a contemplative practice meant for you to use during the week. As we have spent our lives at home these past few weeks, and because it looks like we will continue to have some sort of isolation in our lives for a while, I'm guessing that many of you are feeling alone, bored, anxious, frustrated, angry, restless, Maybe all of the above. How might we use this time of isolation as a time for a spiritual revival? To deepen our relationship with God. To take the time to listen to what direction we may be called by God to take next in our lives. Getting what I call knocked off our normal right now might just be a way of deepening the awareness of God in our midst. What is spirituality? What is Christian spirituality? Is spirituality different from religion? Why do many of my friends say that they are spiritual but not religious? Before we attempt to answer any of these questions and more, let's begin by investigating first the role of the Spirit. There are hundreds and hundreds of references of the Spirit in Holy Scriptures in the Bible. Let's take a look at how the Spirit acts in Scripture. Once again, we learn that 
The wind of God, the pneuma, the breath, swept over the face of the formless void and ordered the chaos that was swirling around. And God breathed life into humankind. In these actions, we can say that the Spirit creates, gives form, orders chaos, gives life, connects us to the divine, connects us as created beings to the creator, the one who created us. How else is spirit defined in scripture? Well, in Exodus 31, when you are filled with the divine spirit, you have ability and knowledge of every kind of craft. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the Spirit enables one to prophesy for justice. Think of the prophets who are always trying to get the people on the right side of social justice issues. Think of Martin Luther King Jr. Along with that comes the drive and the courage also with the voice to bring injustice to light. Throughout Hebrew scriptures, the Spirit is wisdom. The Spirit stirs us. The Spirit enables others to speak for God. The psalmist in the 51st Psalm pleads to God in times of despair, saying, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. In other words, without the Spirit, we learn that we are separated from God's presence. In the book of Proverbs, we hear, the human spirit will endure sickness, but a broken spirit, who can bear? So the spirit also helps us cope, helps us bear burdens in our lives. The spirit is justice, understanding, the spirit gives counsel and might to situations. Boiling all this down, we can say the Spirit ignites us and gives us purpose by being in sync with God's purpose. Now, this sounds like we can't have our own thoughts or agency with what we can do with our lives, but actually the opposite is true. Being in sync with God's purpose leads us to our own individual purposes. In the New Testament, we see once again that when we no longer have the Spirit, we are no longer alive. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus is dying on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commend my Spirit. And then he breathes his last. Without the breath of God, the Spirit, we are not alive. In the New Testament, the Spirit converts our hearts, pours out God's love, gives us new life, and transforms. Paul in Romans says that to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And Paul tells us the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, making the impossible possible. Perhaps most important of all, God's Spirit dwells in us, 
Each one of us, we are all, all of us, spiritual beings. We are all, no matter what we believe or what traditions we follow, we are all spiritual beings. Spiritual beings in total. There isn't one part of us spiritual and the other part not. The Jesuit paleontologist, Teilhard du Chardin, is quoted as saying, We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Christian spirituality is not just a part of our lives. By taking a minute to be or feel spiritual, it's not an item on our agenda we can just check off. Oh, today I'll be spiritual from 2.30 to 3. Christian spirituality is life itself. It's how we live. It is the living out of our lives, day by day, hour by hour, living in the spirit. Now, spirituality is a word used in many different ways. A lot of things are lumped into the word spirituality. Just look at the spiritual section in Barnes & Noble next time you are able to walk into a bookstore. And it's true, we can feel a sense of something that we call spiritual if we are an artist, when we sing or dance or paint. We can feel spiritual when we spend time in nature. Sometimes the feeling of the spiritual is hard to explain. For the most part, there's an overall feeling of connectedness, a feeling, even if for a moment, that all is right with our sense of place in the world. We label this feeling of spiritual as a feeling of peace, where all is right, where we feel aligned, in tune with what we might call our true selves. As Christians, this feeling of peace isn't really about feeling good about ourselves. It is the knowing that we are living our lives in relationship with God. Living a life in this knowledge, it takes practice, demands our attention, our focus. So while we may have moments of feeling spiritual. Spirituality itself is much more than a simple feeling that pops in at every, any given moment. We may feel moments of presence where the presence of God is strong or the feeling of peace is strong. Christian spirituality is more than a string of good feelings. It is a total lived relationship with God. Well, Michael Downey, in his book, Understanding Christian Spirituality, describes what I mean best by defining Christian spirituality this way. He writes, Christian spirituality refers most fundamentally to living the Christian life in and through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He says it is further a quest for integration of mind, body, and soul. There are many ways to work towards this integration, especially with mainstream practices of yoga or mindfulness, which teach us to be aligned and focused in mind and body, 
which feels good for the soul. So then, do we need religion in order to be spiritual? Well, many in society today are pretty definite and proud to say, no, spirituality is seen as something apart from any organization or institution, which is why many are much more comfortable saying that they are spiritual but not religious. Because there's a sense of pride of sorts to say that we hold on to an authenticity in our quest for individual spirituality. Institutions and denominations may seem too limiting or exclusive. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that many do not even define Christianity as overly spiritual, as it is often the case that Christians are accused of being rule-oriented, anti-science, judgmental of the lives of others, too worried about getting into heaven instead of dealing fairly with our earthly day-to-day lives and struggles. Christians are often just lumped in with that angry man on the street corner holding a sign yelling at passerbys to repent or burn in hell. Well, I know you know that guy. And I know you have avoided that guy. I myself make a point to avoid that guy. But that's not what we are about. Religion is how we articulate our spirituality, how we order our spirituality. Yet, as I say, many see religion as too limiting in this ordering. Ronald Rollheiser is a writer of Christian spirituality, and he says, Religion, especially as it is lived out in the churches, is perceived as being anti-creative, anti-enjoyment, anti-sex, and anti-this-world. The God who underwrites the churches, he says, is then perceived as stoic, celibate, dull, cold, otherworldly, and threatened by human creativity. The secular world, by contrast, is then seen as the champion of creativity and enjoyment. He sees us torn between having to choose between the two, one or the other. But we don't have to choose. Christian spirituality is an incarnational spirituality. God with us, being known to us through the worldly birth and life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God suffering with us and for us. God making all things new. God who is the creator of the world and all its beauty. God the creator who made creation and who made us, God's creatures, infusing and jump-starting us with divine breath with the intent of using materials, materials of this world, for sacred purposes. St. Ignatius of Loyola, from his work The Spiritual Exercises, said, God freely created us so that we might know, love, and serve God in this life and be happy with God forever. God's purpose in creating us is to draw forth from us a response of love and service here on earth. All things in this world are gifts from God, created for us, 
to be the means by which we can come to know God better, love God more surely, and serve God more faithfully. Religion helps us go deeper by reminding us that we must involve God in all that we do. Religion helps us practice and articulate our lives as spiritual beings. As disciples, we are called to a discipline. Discipline and disciple come from the same word origin. So religion as a discipline, it's essential in providing us guardrails so we don't careen off a cliff out of control. Religion gives us the signs for our journey, pointing us in a direction so we don't get lost on the way. Religion ideally should not be antithetical to spirituality, but rather point us in deeper directions of what is sacred and good, so that we can live our lives enlightened, empowered, and inspired for service, all of this ultimately enveloping us in joy. We call this living in the Spirit. But here's a warning. Living in the Spirit doesn't mean that we are always at peace. Look at Paul on the road to Damascus, or hear the stories of anyone who's had a conversion Oftentimes the Spirit knocks us to the ground, not as punishment, but sometimes our enlightenment, so to speak, is contingent on things changing for us. And changing is often hard, and we rebel and fight against change. But change leads to transformation that takes us in new directions. The Spirit pushes us sometimes to do the things we didn't think we could do or even wanted to do. Don't forget, the Holy Spirit is represented by flames of fire at Pentecost, after all. We are all spiritual beings, longing for connection and putting the fragmented longings of our lives back together. This sense of the spiritual, this oneness or unity with something, this feeling of rightness or peace, or this push into a different way of seeing the world. Christians name this something God, as revealed in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sustainer, Again, Michael Downey puts it this way. The doctrine of the Trinity functions as the summary of Christian faith, expressing the central Christian conviction that the God who saves through Christ by the power of the Spirit lives eternally in a communion of persons, divine and human, in love 
Now, before I lose you by mentioning the Trinity, take from this very brief foray into complex doctrine that the relationship between divinity and humanity is constant, committed, and community-based. That while we seek those feelings that being spiritual may give us, the Trinity reminds us that in times of stress and anxiety or, or fear, when we don't feel it, it is still with us. So Christian spirituality is community-based rather than individual-focused. Christianity has a rich history of contemplation, forms of meditation and prayers designed to help us experience the sacred, to deepen our relationship with the sacred. And what is the goal with this deepening relationship? Transformation. This may seem individual, but in reality, our individual spiritual pursuits, living a life in the spirit, leads us to community and connectedness. Don't we all crave to be connected? We defined Christian spirituality at the beginning as a quest for the integration of mind, body, and soul. If we are honest with ourselves, we are all, as human beings, we all have a spiritual hunger on some level, a desire for the fragmented parts of our lives to become whole. Isn't that what peace is all about? When all the parts that are fragmented are whole, reconciled together? Ronald Rollheiser writes about this in his book, the holy longing. He says that we all have this holy longing where there is a great unrest within us. He frames this as desire, what he calls an aching pain or a delicious hope. And spirituality is what we do with this unrest. John of the Cross calls this unrest the dark night, Sometimes we call this the dark night of the soul, where we deal with this restlessness as we try, sometimes haphazardly, to journey toward God. Rollheiser says that spirituality is about properly handling the fires, those powerful energies that flow through us. While we can never achieve godness or become equal with God, as it isn't about our own power or our own skill at harnessing this power, what we are trying to achieve is a mutual, consistent relationship with God. By strengthening this mutual relationship, we are more in tune with what we call God's will for us. And what is God's will? It is the transformation of a broken world by reconciling humanity to each other and to God's self. Christians see this reconciliation being achieved by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And God's will for us is for us to be agents of transformation of this broken world. 
And we learn how to do this and are encouraged on the how to do this by the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, which sustains our life force through inspiration, literally, inspiration, in spirit, being in the spirit. We believe God to be the creator, and we are all created beings, yearning because of this holy longing to be in relationship, not fragmented, but whole and at peace. Philippians chapter 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Meaning, we can relax and try try not to have that pressure on ourselves to make it all happen on our own, but rely on God to help us out a bit. This will take the pressure off. We don't have to be spiritual geniuses, enlightened gurus, or spiritual experts. We just need to be open and willing to be in relationship And like any relationship, we need to spend the time cultivating this relationship. And we do this in part by being in prayer. So finally, what do we need to do? Jesus tells us in Luke, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So first, we love God. Loving God means to be obedient to God. What does being obedient really mean? It doesn't mean following blindly, having no agency or thoughts of our own. We aren't zombies. Henry Nouwen writes that The word obedience comes in part from the Latin word audire. Think of the word audio. Obedience doesn't mean following into lockstep. It means to listen. To be obedient is to listen. Listening to God means we take the time to put our attention toward God. We worship, we pray, not because God has an ego and needs our accolades, We worship, pray, meditate, and spend time with God because we give worth to God. We give worth to the meaning of God in our lives. When we give God worth, when we do this with all our heart, soul, and strength, we integrate mind, body, and soul in this listening, in this obedience. And then we are able to love ourselves enough and forgive ourselves enough so that we can go out in the world loving our neighbors 
and forgiving our neighbors in the same way. We are already in the presence of God. We just need to take the time to listen. In these weeks during this Easter season, we make room for the Spirit. Take some time to listen. The Spirit comes to us liturgically on the day of Pentecost, which this year is May 31st. So let's begin to make some room now for the Spirit, for that day when she arrives, starting with the following exercise. Drawing on research and materials put out by the Yale Youth Ministry Institute, the practice that we are going to explore today is breath awareness. We will focus on the intimate relation between breath, spirit, and life. I invite you to write down the steps as I go through them so that you can implement these meditations during this week. Find a pad of paper or a journal, have a pen or pencil ready, and take notes as I go through the description. So let's go back to Genesis. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Breathing is often an unconscious process that we fail to notice or properly value. We know that breathing is necessary for our survival, but we rarely make an intentional effort to appreciate the life-giving nature of breath. In the biblical languages, we see an intimate association between breath, spirit, and life that existed in the very foundations of our tradition. The Hebrew word ruach and the Greek word pneuma can both be translated as spirit, wind, breath, or life force, depending on the context in which the word is used. While the founders of our tradition had this association between breath, spirit, and life built into their language, we often overlook this association in our modern context and busy lives. It's important that we make time to intentionally be aware of our breath and reflect on its relation to spirit and life. Bring your attention to your breathing. Take a deep breath in and slowly exhale out. Though we know that God is totally transcendent beyond all creation, we also know that God is 
imminently present throughout all creation. Become aware of the divine presence that is in the air that you breathe and all the air that surrounds you. As you inhale, feel the divine life that fills your lungs. As you exhale, sink deeper into the silent presence of God. Continue to breathe slowly and attentively in this way, conscious of the Spirit of God that gives life along with each breath. If you feel your mind start to wander at all, simply bring your attention back to your breathing. Aware of the life-giving presence of God through each breath. Continue this for about 15 to 20 minutes. Write down anything that comes to you, any thoughts or feelings. And remember that spirit is the breath of God, the breath that gives us life.